Hello and welcome to Mazes and Muses, roaming the labyrinth of creativity. All right. Hey, Steve, how the hell are you? Good, Dan. How are you? Good. Um, thank you for joining me on this experiment. Mazes and Muses. Did you know that mazesandmuses.com was not taken yet? That's fantastic. So I jumped on it. So hopefully this takes off <laughs> and we can have That's a direct right. link for it. So, um, but yeah, as if you're watching this and I don't think anybody's here is yet. Um, my mother doesn't have Twitch, so she doesn't know I'm on. Um, yeah, Mazes and Muses will be, uh, we're calling it Roaming the Labyrinth of Creativity. And it's basically Steve and I who both, I, I guess we consider ourselves creatives, correct? That's fair to say. I think I like I like to think I am. <laughs> I'll let people judge, read my books and, and judge for themselves. And um, we're basically going to I think I think what this is, is just a, a, a roundtable between two creatives to inspire each other. Um, to begin with, um, if this works out and if we, uh, you know, this continues on and hopefully will fingers crossed, uh, we'll have other guests. Uh, we'll have other creatives on and discuss it. And and uh, what I hope to do is discuss with uh, Steve, uh, who is probably one of the most, uh, I mean, he is very creative and he's also the most uh, prolific creators that I know. Um, he's always cranking stuff out and I need that sort of kick in the ass to get me going on my stuff. <laughs> well, uh, so, so for folks who are tuning in and watching a replay... Dan and I have known each other since 2004, Some, no wait, seven, something, seven maybe? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, but never have, we've never talked. Never, uh, never had a discussion like this, never met face to face or never met over any sort of Zoom or video call until just now. Yeah, I, we're friends on Facebook, so I know I, I'd be able to pick you out of a crowd, uh, but uh we only exchanged emails and maybe a few phone calls back in the day when we were both working on Star Trek for IDW. So our, our nerd pedigree goes back, you know, 15 years at least. Oh yeah. Uh, but did you want to introduce yourself? Um, well, that was a good quick little answer. I am Dan Taylor and I have done comics in the past. I've done screenplays in the past. I have, and now my current obsession is, and it, I've always been obsessed with role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons, but now I'm actually in a way collecting a paycheck to play Dungeons and Dragons. So that is my new creative outlet. Not, not, I'm not saying new, but it's my new, you know, side hustle. <laughs> and it's, and it's, you are DMing and basically the prime mover in a, in Catacombs and Comedians, a live comedy show, which is available on this channel on Twitch. And uh, I don't know if you stream live or it's replays. It's replays right now because, well, we'll all, that, that's a funny story. We'll discuss it. <laughs> You've got this. So it, it's, it's, it's this amazing uh, live event where there are comedians on stage who I would say are at all levels of experience with tabletop role-playing games and D&D. I would say zero to minimal. Okay, good. It, it, feel, it sometimes feels like that, but I love how. So it, I, I hope people check out the replays because uh, it's a Herculean effort to uh, manage these comedians who are all kind of 
I don't feel like they're improvisers. I feel like they're stand-ups. Yeah, they are stand-ups. Uh, one of them is an imp- you know does Im- improv, and she's in an improv group. But other than that, yeah, they are all local stand-up Nashville comedians because that's where the first show, the first two shows actually took place is here in Nashville where I'm a recent transplant from California. And I mean, four years ago, or let alone 15 years ago when I was working with Steve, had you said, I will move to Nashville and start my stand-up comedy career being a dungeon master, I would have said you're high. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so that's what it is. It's just um, Catacombs and Comedians is an idea that I've had forever. Well, since, you know, D&D kind of became a streaming thing, you know, with Critical Role and other... Well, it's Critical Role at all, I believe, sure. is the official sure. um, thing. And I have a long history with stand-up comedy. As I mean, We're talking 25 years ago. I'm doing the math in my head. Maybe longer than that. Um, one of my first jobs was being a door guy at an improv comedy club. That's great. So, and I eventually... Is that all in California? Yeah, all in California. And I eventually became, you know, I managed the comedy club and the improv comedy club. So I've always had a connection with comedy other than, you know, I mean, this is, I love stand-up comedy since I was a kid. I love stand-up. I mean, I remember I got the Steve Martin Wild and Crazy album for Christmas when I was too young to get <laughs> a Steve Martin uh, comedy album for Christmas. Uh, thank you, Aunt Dottie. It was much appreciated. And... um so I've always loved comedy. In fact, when a friend of mine got a fake ID, he got it from the DMV and mailed to my address so his parents wouldn't see it. My mom saw it. And my mom wasn't mad. She just goes, oh, I assume Dan got one too because these guys are just going to go to comedy clubs to see comedy. That's how much mom knew I dug stand-up comedy. So anyway, off off track. Um I always thought once I started watching Critical Role and seeing as I love the Acquisition Inc. Incorporated shows that they do at PAX. I've never been to PAX, but I've watched them on YouTube and such. I've been to one major D&D event in Los Angeles back before the before time, before the COVID. And I saw a bunch of live shows and I it just hit me. I'm like, you hear about so many stand-up comedians that have played Dungeons and Dragons in the past, you know, from um, Stephen Colbert to Robin Williams. Sure. You know, there was that uh, Dan Harmon had that on his, you know, the Harmon quest. They played D&D. And I'm like, let's just make it official and just get a group of comics where that is the gimmick. Stand-up comics playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Right. And so I've had kicked this idea around for years, but I never had any opportunity to pull it off until I moved here to Nashville and I became friends with an owner of the comedy club. And this is, this is how you do it. This is how you get a This is how you get a Dungeons and Dragons comedy show. You hang out with the owner for a couple times. You get a connection. You then send him an email saying, hey, I think a Dungeons & Dragons show, live Dungeons & Dragons show at Zany's Comedy Club would be a great idea. What do you think? And he goes, 
he sends me an email back saying, okay, I'm not very familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. You'll have to educate me. And I said, okay, I email back. Let's get lunch. Let's hang out, you know, and I'll, I'll talk you through it. And I was ready to tell him how, you know, Critical Role makes $7 million or whatever god-awful number a month on, you know. And more people watch that than the fucking Super Bowl or something along that line. Stranger Things, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, the Dungeons & Dragons movie coming out, you know. It's, it's, you know, since the pandemic, it's been, you know, huge leaps and bounds in popularity. So this was my whole sales pitch. I was ready to go and have lunch with uh, the owner and discuss it with him. He ghosted me. Oh, no. And I'm I'm a friend of his. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe he just doesn't like the idea or I don't know. You're sitting in the restaurant just waiting for your day Well, no, we we never even got that far. Okay. okay. When I sent the email saying, let's get together, he just sent, he sent me an email saying, okay. I mean, he never sent me an email back. He just, silence. So cut to the Christmas party at the club. As soon as I walk in, he's like, oh, Dan, come over here. And, you know, and we have a rapport and, we, you know, it's I love hanging out with him. And, you know, we give each other shit. So we talk for like a half hour about other stuff. And it's a Christmas party. So people are coming, you know. And he, he excuse, someone comes up and he goes, he talks to them for a little while. And I'm like, he has not brought up the D&D thing. What the hell's going on? Does he hate the idea? Am I that, am I that far off? And then so finally I just said, so what'd you think of my Dungeons and Dragons idea? And he goes, oh, that was you? I didn't know who sent that email. <laughs> Fantastic. And so I'm like, yeah, that's me. And he goes, oh, he goes, he goes, am I the asshole? You've probably thought this whole time. I'm, you know, I'm like, well, what do you think of it? And he goes, let's do it. That was it. I didn't even have to sell him on it. I did all so that's that so at that point the, the wave of guilt was rushing over him and he said, I'll do it. I'll yeah, do it. I'll do it. Let's do it. I feel bad. I feel bad. Okay. Whatever you do, book it. Let's go. So all so that what, stuff what's the, what's the takeaway from that? Follow up emails? <laughs> <laughs> um the I think guilt. Just make you know I I mean I you know, I I was your editor for Star Trek and I, I don't think you ever pulled this on me, but I allowed so much shit. To slide by because I just felt guilty with the talent. <laughs> um, but anyway, so then and there, I met with the booker of the club and we set a date. And I had never, ever in my life been on stage at a, in that sort of capacity in an entertainment. I've, you know, I've done plenty of panels at San Diego Comic Cons or Star Trek conventions where I'm there telling, you know, people how much they're going to love Steve's work on our new Star Trek book. Um and then I'll tell you the horrible story about when I was, you know, I was the editor for Transformers 2 and my first Transformers convention. But, uh, yeah, so that was my first time on stage. And I do not remember any of it. Oh, wait. So that was your first time on stage? Yeah. On stage? Yeah. So you've been following comedy all this time, but you never had aspirations. No. Did you have aspirations to be on stage? I'm kind of an introvert, but again, so are most comics. Huh. Um. I don't have the discipline is what to, you know, go to open mics to, you know, practice my craft of comedy to, you know, get my tight seven minutes that you need. Um, So I went a very roundabout way. And now I just you've you've uh, you've seen the video or listen to the podcast of I just I'm I'm, I'm the referee. It's like being a referee at a WWE match. 
it feels like it's sometimes. <laughs> but I do like that you you because immediately they were playing it like you were the dad. People again, people should check it out. But they were, they were playing it off like you were the dad and mm-hmm. telling them what to do. And you were basically at some point you're like, hey, hey, I will turn this car around. You had <laughs> this uh, this control over them, and it was great. It was really great. It, it yeah. just, again, I didn't get the sense that they were improv because they didn't have a yes and energy. They had a um, just kind of stepping all over each other's toes. Uh, but the crowd ate it up. Yeah, so. they, and what what was amazing about this whole event is the um, the club itself, the booker who books the club, Lucy, and I love her to death. Um, you know, saw her last. I was at the club last night to catch Dave Attell, and um, she was amazingly surprised about how many people, how many tickets we sold to this show. That's great. I, I mean, we weren't a sellout. We didn't have Dave Attell you know, numbers, but it was enough to where before the first show, before we had the first show, she said, here's your sec, here's a date for your second show. Announce it on stage. So. And uh, I didn't, I couldn't recall if the cast that you had from the second uh, performance, performance, the wrong word, uh, the second game was the same as the first. Is it, is it the same? Will it be the same cast from episode to episode? Here in Nashville, it is. Um, And I say Nashville because, Next week, next week, I am going to Huntsville to the Stand Up Live Comedy Club in Huntsville. I saw that on social media. I didn't catch that it was a different, a different club, different comedy club. I'm taking the show on the road already. Wow! <laughs> and in fact, that club contacted me. Wow! And said, "Hey, and I mean, they the same owners own both clubs, but <laughs> but still, that means you know that's awesome." Yeah. So. Um, and that is this Wednesday, so as soon as you and I are done talking, I'm using this to motivate me to plan what I'm going to do with them. So it'll be a different group in Huntsville. Okay. Um, so yeah, I had the same group in, in Nashville, except for the second show in Nashville, we had a guest player, um, Aaron Weber, who is very popular local comic, but he's also on Nate Bergazzi's, uh Nate Land podcast, and He's, you know, he's recently on a Netflix special and he's starting to break or he's breaking. I mean, um, and he was such a wonderful, such a good guy. So nice. And I said, hey, Aaron, you want to be a guest player? And he's like, sure, I'll do it. And he was so professional. If you listen to the first show and the second show, and we had the video of the second show where Aaron was on, the player stepped up. That's great because oh, so he he raised their game by it, being there. They were all like a little more like yes, less less carousing and more like okay, let's perform exactly. And Aaron had never played any Dungeons and Dragons at all. And I mean, with that with the other my main group of four players, we had gotten together three times to play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, we, oh right, they they referenced that like your your wife had made cookies or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I had them over to the house and. Like that third time, we just did practice combat. You know, I didn't even I didn't even run an adventure. I said, okay, now you're going to fight these. Now you're going to fight, you know, now you're going to fight a dragon. It was a baby dragon, but, you know, so just to get them, because uh, I'll talk about the crew a little bit. Allison Summers plays once a month with a regular D&D group. Okay. And she's the one who's an improv. So she's she's pretty good at being in character and getting, you know, Doing that sort of stuff. Um, then we've got Kanan Wichard, 
who played, who probably knows the most Dungeons and Dragons because he played in college. I guess he experimented in college like we all do. And um, he's the, okay, uh, Allison is the, the dragonborn barbarian. Kanan is the dwarf monk. And then we have Tanner Newcomb who refuses to learn how to play. <laughs> That's where a lot of the comedy in that show where, where we have to tell Tanner what to do every time. You know, and um, that's where I'm the most frustrated as the, you know, the kitten wrangler. Is is he taking it as a point of pride not knowing? Yeah. Like, yeah. Now, yeah. Now I'm, I'm, he's not even going to bother. And I do like that the audience jumps in with like rules and yelling at him to do stuff and things like that. It's, 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 it's wonderful. Yeah. And that's, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep that going because, you know, heaven knows they're not going to learn how to play. And then, so how about this whole theater of the mind thing, where it, there's no map? At least I, I didn't see a map. I no, didn't see yeah. minis or, you know, it's all. It almost is kind of like uh, austere. It's, a, it's just a stage. It's a table. Yeah, you know? it's it's the the five of us or six of us that we have again. Oh, one quick. Let me just finish. Chance Willie oh, is sorry. our yeah. Sorry. Chance Willie is our last player. He's the human sorcerer. His dad used to play. That's his connection to Dungeons and Dragons. Great. So. And um, but anyway, yeah, theater of the mind is my favorite way of Dungeons and Dragons, um, because I have played Dungeons and Dragons since there were the little tan books in the white box. Dude, you uh, predate no. me. Yeah, and I don't own them anymore. Um, I wish I did, because I would pay for this haul. You know, <laughs> oh, are they are they really that pricey now? Well, maybe maybe three hundred, four hundred bucks. Wow. But um, no, I mean, we're talking 79 is probably when I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Wow. Um, but I'm, I, by any means, and in watching me Dungeon Master, listening to me Dungeon Master with this Catacombs and Communions, I'm no expert either. I mean, I've played every edition, every, you know, so I'm to the point, well, I'm not going to bother become a master because there'll be a new edition later. <laughs> right. Sure. Uh, and that's half the fun. But yeah, Theater of Mind has been our basic way of playing. That I played for forty, you know, two forty three plus years. Wow! Yeah, and I don't. I feel like with dungeon mastering, you don't need to know all the rules. I mean, you, oh, actually, let me take that back. You can't know all the rules. Mm-mm. The whole idea that sage advice exists and that Chris Perkins is answering email, you know, tweet, tweets about, uh, you know, what happens when this spell interacts with this spell, and uh, that I see Mercer mess up all the time. I see like you know stuff like. You know, they just, it's just too much. There's just too many people playing. There's too many things happening. There's just no way of, uh, you know, and they just roll with it. They're like, oh, that's what, that's what happened. No, and that's, that's what, when I first planned this with these, with this, my Nashville group, I was like, okay, we're going to do this. You know, I'm going to talk the, talk the club and then doing it once a month, maybe twice a month. And then in between, we'll do the, you know, critical role type Twitch, you know, streaming show where i have them you know get on their webcams and you know they're going to be totally into it and we're just going to make this grandiose campaign and it's just gonna it's going to be great it's you know the critical role people are going to be oh no we got some competition well it's not turning out that way and i'm not disappointed in that at all i'm changing my plan right um will there be a, a regular streaming you know webcam you know type uh catacombs and comedian show yes but is it going to be those four players every time every week or every other week no right 
I mean, how could it be? Yeah. I mean, they all, they're all going to have, I mean, they're all comedians. They're going to be traveling. They're going to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my goal, and then with the introduction of this new show I'm doing in Huntsville, it's stand up live, uh, July 20th. Tickets are now available. Um, I will have my Huntsville crowd, you know, and hopefully I'll go down there once a month to do a show. I will do a show once a month in here in Zanies with this Nashville crew. Maybe I'll get another couple clubs that are within a hundred miles where I can go and do a DM type thing. But I do want to do that online streaming thing. But my plan is to get comics from all over United States or all over the world. If it works out for them, you know, and have those four regulars. This is my online crew. That's great. And we just do it that way. So, cause I love DMing. I, and it's a chore. Like you said, you know, you can't remember all the rules. Sometimes, you know, sometimes Mercer messes up. We all mess up, but I love doing, and here comes the, you know, roaming the labyrinth of creativity. I love Dungeons and Dragons because of the creative aspect of it. I am a storyteller. I am a story writer. You know, I've had my comic books that I put out. I've had my screenplays that I've written. I love creating the worlds for Dungeons and Dragons. So this is Dungeons and Dragons serves as an outlet for my creativity first and foremost. That's great. I, I love the artwork that you have for it. You have, I'm not sure who your artist is. Is it the same artist for all the pieces I've seen? I've seen like the dire uh, trash panda. Yeah. I got my dire trash panda right here. Where he's holding that little rat. That's um, great. No, I've got two artists that I'm working with. Uh, Stephen Musgrave is my uh, monster artist because I like his cartoony and this is for, you know, comedy, you know, so the monsters, we're creating original monsters for this. Um, And then, and then my, the, the artist I have who does a player character, does the characters is uh, Stephen Coughlin and he does, you know, I like his style because it's again, different kind of cartoony. It's got a different look to it. Um, I like that you only work with Steve's. Yeah, only Steve's. That. And that's why I'm working with you. So, um, and so I got both of these guys because I've admired their work on Instagram for so long. And I'm just like, hey, do you want to do this? And, you know, they're, they're cutting me a good, a good deal, a good price. You know, they're not charging me the regular thing for it. Um, and in fact, with, you know, Steve Musgrave with our creatures, our monsters, we're going to put out, we're going to start publishing books with it you know that you can get on you know uh drive through uh rpg rpg and you know whatever so i'm i'm in the process of putting those books together and that way again it comes to branding it'll be catacombs and comedians presents you know the cavalcade of creatures volume one and one of the fun aspects of doing the show is coming up with fun creative takes on monsters that already exist because everybody loves the owl bear, you know. Sure, owl bear is a, a, a popular, you know, creature. Though I've never been a, I don't ever remember really using owl bears, but it's become the cutesy kind of fun thing. So I wanted to do something that was, you know, kind of similar, but you know, in a mocking fashion. So that's we came up with a foul boar, which is part turkey, part boar. Um, you know, so I I just th- throw the name out to Musgrave. And I don't even say it's got to have this, this, or this. I let him come up with what it looks like. Gotcha. That's great. He emails it back to me and I go, perfect. 
And then I write the stat block and all the you know information for it. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. If 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 he's not going to charge his uh, his full rate, he should he should at least have the best person in the world to work for. So, <laughs> so we just yes, and you know occasionally sometimes like with the you know the first uh, trash um, dire trash panda that he did, he sent it to me. And he goes, hey, he didn't even like it. He goes, I'm not sure what's right with this. And I go, well, maybe he shouldn't be standing up on his highlights. Maybe we just you know. Punch him over, make him a little less, you know, humanistic. And then he nailed this one. It was perfect. And I think I said, maybe put red in his eyes. That's that's the extent. All he's got to do, because he does all his work digitally, so he just has to hit a couple buttons. I'm not going to ask him to do a redo a whole thing. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> People think digital is so easy. Oh, I hey, I watched you do those damn miniatures. Let's, t- let's talk about that for a little while. What... Uh- so, so for folks who don't know who I am, my name is Steve Conley. I'm a cartoonist. I've been making comics for coming on 40 years. My first comic was self-published. I mean, more some before that in college and high school and elementary school. And all that. But my first published comic was in 94. It's a terrible independent comic. Not worth hunting down. <laughs> um, and I started doing web comics in 98. And I've been doing web comics kind of off and on ever since. I kept trying to take a stab at I want... Let's try this. Let's try this. Kept throwing things at the wall, see what would stick. Um, and what uh, the latest one I'm working on is called The Middle Age. I've been working on it for six years. Six years on Monday. It'll have its birthday. Happy and, anniversary. Um, it's the first thing I've done. I, mean, I don't know if it's the, uh, the, the crowdfunding opportunities with Patreon and Kickstarter that have kind of helped this thing survive the way the others didn't. I don't know if it's I just gotten better as an artist that's it's made more my speed it's fantasy a lot of the other stuff i've done with science fiction it was fine astounding space thrills with stuff was fine but um the middle age is um uh it's been well received eisner nominations and ringo nominations and all that stuff and uh uh what i've always wanted was toys i wanted figures because i'm a nerd i'm a I'm, you know, as you see behind me i just got tons of figurines of little characters and uh, yeah exactly and um and I love them. And I love them not just because, you know, this is, hey, this thing ties into a memory or ties into something I like, or I'm a fan of this thing, but it's also the artistry of the thing. If like the way the pose is or the sculpture or how the character's moving or uh, the expression on the face or something like that. And uh, I've wanted figures of my own. I want to make my own. Uh, and then uh, I just could never find the artist. I could never find, I knew I'd be a terrible client. I knew I'd be an absolutely like you're being very nice with your your uh, army of Steves. But uh, I mean, I know I would be like, hey, that's can you make the eye a little taller? Can you lower the ears? Can you change the expression? Can you blah 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 blah? I would be terrible to work for. So around six months ago, I started teaching myself how to sculpt, and uh, at the same time, I was teaching myself how to use Twitch. Uh, and uh, we have minis now. Um, I've sculpted them myself using a program called Nomad Sculpt on an iPad. Um, I'm going to put this in front of the screen, hopefully to help with the focus of the thing. I'm not sure if that's in focus. Oh, yeah, that works. But so we just had a Kickstarter. The sword's a little bent. I took this to Heroes Con and the heat in the car, I think his sword got a little droopy, but that's probably in character. Um, It happens to the best of us. (laughs) At at our our age. Yeah. (laughs) uh, So uh, he... uh, so all these characters, all these minis got made through a Kickstarter. They're being produced. They're being cast by a company called Trenchworks, who does stuff for Matt Colville and MCDM. So I, I uh, expert casting and uh, sculpting it myself. It came down to just like comics and just like every other part of creativity for me. It's been like 
I tried to find a publisher. I tried to find a partner. It doesn't work. And so it's like, okay, I'll do it myself. So I'll publish my own web comics. I'll publish my, I'll, I'll, I'll sculpt my own minis. I'll, you know, heck staple my own comics together if I have to. Um, so that's what, that's where the, that's where the minis came from. And that's, that's sort of my background. It's like years of self-publishing and indie publishing and uh, web comics and now sculptures. So now this, this Kickstarter just ended, right? It just ended. Yes. Last week. Yeah. Um, it was successful. We got some, it was, it's really weird because I've got an audience, I've run Kickstarters for my comics and that's one audience. And then this is minis and it's like the Venn diagram. There's, it's not a super overlap between the two. Yes, I'm doing a fantasy comic, but that doesn't mean they're gamers. It doesn't mean they want stuff on their shelves. And these are mini kits, essentially. The figures need to be assembled. Uh, so the idea that, um, you know, that someone wants a little craft project is, is, is kind of a, I think is a big ask. Um, but it meant I had to do stack blocks for the characters. I have this, one of the stretch goals was a, is a subclass for D and D. Cause again, I'm a, my D and D, I don't go quite back as far back as the little booklets as the zine sized, uh, I'm like red box and blue box guy. No, that's uh, just a couple years later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, coloring the, uh, the dice in with crayons. Yes. And, uh, um, so, but there was a long gulf between me playing D and D and those editions I played in college. And then that was it. 25 years of just focusing on comics and doing all that stuff until the pandemic hit. And a friend of mine said, Hey, do you want to play again? And I had played back in the day. I had played Dungeons and Dragons, Traveler, Star Frontiers, Gamma World, Gamma Rodders, even Gangbusters one time. Uh, like, um, uh, How about Boot Hill? Boot Hill. I, I know we had never played it. Boot Hill was kind of our, our joke. I was like, if everything, if everything else caught fire, we'd play Boot Hill. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek, the FASA game. I've, uh, I've I've got a box of it right down here. In fact, I got almost every iteration of Star Trek role playing game. Obviously, I was so enamored with the art on those books, the kind of color outline on the like the Orion Guide, and uh, I still have an audio cassette. I, I game mastered a game of Star Trek way back in the day, and uh, as a clue for the, I, I kind of oh, with a tape deck and another tape player in the background, I had assembled this distress message where it had the Star Trek sound effects in the background. It was awful. I, I need to digitize that and share that with people. Oh, really, yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, real quick, just on Star Trek. Do you know the latest edition of Star Trek role-playing game, Star Trek Adventures by Modifius Games? No, I have, I'm not, I've not played it. I, um, think I, I think I was aware of it. but Yeah, I haven't played it either, but I wrote for it. Oh, wow. That's great. I wrote the Klingon fluff pieces in the side panels. That's fantastic. So that's my only professional RPG work. Everything else is, well, everything else is self-published, except for now that I'm getting a paycheck to the Dungeon Master at a comedy club. I guess that's professional Dungeons and Dragons. I think my only RPG credit is Mutants and Masterminds. I did their Game Master Shield artwork, and I did artwork in one of their villain compendiums. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was my only... But I, that was a gig. I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, it just brought back all these feels of, you know, role-playing games and playing the Marvel superhero game and the DC role-playing game. Did, you, did you do Champions back in the day? No, but we did Villains and Vigilantes. Okay. I've... And that's where I fell in love with Jeff D's artwork. Yeah, Champions was my favorite 
superhero game back in the day. Uh, Steve, or no, Hero Games. Um, what did you like about it? Honestly, the thing that the, the character sheet had an outline, a blank outline of a character that you would draw the costume on. I think that was. The <laughs> it's weird. It's little things like that. It's amazing. The initial take on it, and I think it was the first hero. I think it was the first superhero game out at the time. I've, Villains and Vigilantes was soon after. Because um, gotcha. I've always preferred those. I don't even want to use the word generic, but those open sandbox types compared to you know say DC or Marvel superheroes role playing games. Because I don't want to play Spider Man, and I know you could make your own characters and stuff in these, but you know. Give me a raw at the very beginning, you know, just give me the raw thing, you know, and that's what I, I with the Marvel superhero game. I don't know if it's a digression. I felt like the main issue they had, A, I love their two hit chart. I love that so much. They have, they must have it. They had it right here a minute ago. <laughs> um, they, uh, I like their two hit chart because it was basically this person's here and you're there and it shows you what they need to hit and all that stuff. It was percentile dice, which, you know, I like is my very, I'm simple-minded, and uh, uh, the uh, but it, you could say the scale went from like the strength of like the chart handled Aunt May's strength, yeah, up to like Beyonder and Galactus, and the chart because it, the chart had to encompass that in twelve steps. It's like this logarithmic scale that made the chart mostly pointless because sure Spider-Man had less had more strength than Wolverine and less strength than the. Hulk, but Colossus, the whole thing became really weird. And I mean, I loved it. I loved its simplicity, but I kind of felt like they needed to do more of a Marvel Knights thing where, okay, let's just do the street level heroes and that can be its own system. And then you can have the God level characters and that's its own system. But mix and matching means that, you know, you've got, you know, you, you've got Daredevil going up against Thanos. And it's like, that doesn't really, it's, it's a very short fight. Right, it right. So, uh, and then and then the character rolling up stuff. It's like you can have a character who's an alien who's got an unbelievable strength versus again Ant Man, and like okay, well. So I, I love the game. I love the game, but the foibles of the whole thing became really weird for me, and that's that's I think that's probably what made me lose my interest in Marvel at some point or another. I'm rambling. I'm sorry about that. Dan. Oh no I'm worries. Sure. That's what that's what we're doing here. This is this is our our zero episode. So. Um. Uh, and yeah, now there's a new Marvel RPG out. Matt Forbick wrote. Um, have you? Is that out? Out or have you played it? Or they published a um, like kind of a beta beta set of rules. It's like ten bucks on Amazon. I got it. Um, I haven't played it yet. Again, you know, it's hard enough to get my regular players to play Dungeons and Dragons, let alone right. You know. Well, that's interesting. That's a friend of mine mentions that. Like he's. He's curious about the why the fantasy genre is such a big deal with role playing games, whereas other genres, and like he and I were both big science fiction fans, Blade Runner and Star Trek, and all those kind of. I mean, they don't all have to, all have to be bright, shiny futures, but what science fiction was such a big deal. But why fantasy really has ownership, kind of the way superheroes have had ownership over direct market comics, fantasies, maybe even more indelibly linked to. RPGs. I don't know if it's the magic. I don't know if it's the. I think it's. I think it's the story element of the quest. Almost every adventure or campaign is a quest. Interesting. It's all. I mean, you you. It's all you know. You're off to slay this dragon, or you're off to get the hand of Vecna. You're you're off. You know, 
It's it's a group of, it, and being it's a it's a party. It's it's the bringing together a group of people to do it. Science fiction, not so much. You know, Blade Runner. It's just Deckard. You know, by himself, like surviving. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Star Trek does have an element of it. You know, it's a group of people, but it's not. Star Trek is so defined in, you know, the, the regulations of the Federation and Starfleet and, you know. Right. Chain and, of command and all that. And chain of command. And it's you you can't play, you know, if you play the captain of a starship, you're not starting off at first level. Right. Um, right. Same thing with superheroes. There's a, you know, you don't really start, you know, you don't, your first time you play it, you're not Peter Parker getting bit by the spider. You're already Spider-Man. Right. So I think fantasy it's kind of the uh, Joseph Campbell hero's journey type of thing where you start off as a nobody and the whole, you know every D&D adventure is pretty much that's that circle yeah and that and is then they, and then you've got the party composition which is very much like if you look at Warcraft in you know, World of Warcraft where it's got tank DPS healer where you have this kind of complementary group or possibly maybe not a group of people who are working together and unlike Starfleet, where, you know, this episode doesn't need the medical officer. This right. episode doesn't need the engineer. Um, everyone's got a thing to do, at least in fantasy. There's got to be Legolas and Gimli and all them doing their thing. Yeah. And it's it's the and it, the fact that you you get your friends around a table in a, an adventuring party is why I think it works best for fantasy over anything else. Um and you know, and I mean, let's be honest. Dungeons and Dragons was the first one, right? Right. So everything that will be the grandfather of DD. And for people who say no, you know, it's got a stranglehold. You know, it's not letting enough. You know, other games in. There's more to play. Yeah, play whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. That's the beautiful thing about role playing games. Um, and, and but you could take Dungeons and Dragons and make it a sci fi world if you want, or a post apocalyptic world. It's, you know. It's not that hard. It's just, you know, I think for fantasy reason, it's just the fact that it's you, you, your characters start low and grow. And every other type of game you'd want to role play, you, there's not that growth. Right. In a Western game, you you know, all the characters are already gunslingers. But when we watch, you know, Lord of the Rings, Frodo's a nothing. And he goes on this huge adventure. So, and he gains levels, so to speak. As he goes on. Yeah, that so, level, the leveling part, the investment in the character is such a big deal. It's such a huge thing. And it, it, I think having played again and watching the other people I'm playing with, the idea that they're they're always looking toward the next level, that they're going to level up. They always have one eye on, ooh, whenever, you know, it's we always do, like, in D&D, there's like the XP leveling versus the... Uh, milestone. Milestone. So we do a milestone where the DM just says, okay, everybody leveled up. And... Um, but I know what players always got their eye on, you know, next level, I get this, I get this, I get this. They're thinking, you know, and I, I don't think that's the reason they come back every week, but um, it definitely is a tease. It definitely is this thing that's kind of can't wait, can't wait till be able to shoot lightning bolts out of his eyes or whatever the heck it's going to be. Yeah. And I think with fantasy, you know, especially now with fifth edition, you could really create the kind of character you want. Like, again, we're just going back to Star Trek. You know, if you're a captain, you're, you know, you're kind of pigeonholed into this is the type of character you're going to play. 
you know, first officer, science officer, medical, or, you know, ensign, red shirt. But with Dungeons and Dragons, you can say, hey, I want to play this, you know, halfling barbarian who was raised by goblins and wears war paint. And I can say, well, I'm going to be a tiefling bard that, you know, hits right, on everybody, right, right. you know, and we could still be in the same adventure. So I think there's so many different things. And that's, that's the charm of D&D. And again, you know, there are people who say, but, you know, it doesn't have to be D&D. No, it doesn't have to be, but right. I'm glad D&D is here. Yeah, it's, it's it, the, the power level thing is very interesting, too. They, again, if, they, if you were playing the Avengers, it'd be very difficult to be Hawkeye alongside Thor. You have to be a very certain kind. You've got to be a specific kind of player who's going to be very happy shooting arrows versus mm-hmm. a guy who's hurling lightning bolts and, you know, dropping thunderstorms on people. Um, so it's it's weird that, that 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 power imbalance can exist in some genres. And we're like, well, that's fine. Um, but with D&D, it's so weird. I, again, I love, I'm a huge fan of Critical Role. I came to it late, really into the second season. Um, uh, and... Uh, I love that every one of the characters feels like the main character to them. Like every one of those characters, they're so interested in their character's arc. They're interested in their character's story. There's not a superstar. You know, each one of the characters, each one of the, there's certain levels of popularity each actor has and brings to it. And the the way they construct a character can be more popular than others. But uh, I feel like every one of them gives the other player an opportunity to shine they're all very generous. Uh, and Mercer is super interesting to me as when I grew up playing D&D, the DM was almost our adversary. Right. Like we were playing against the DM. And that you see that in Critical Role too sometimes where it's like, you know, the bad guy does something and they get angry at Matt briefly. Uh, uh, but he is so nurturing. And I think that's one of the reasons why it, su- it succeeds where or it's gained popularity and that, that and its regularity, the idea that every week, it, is it Thursday yet? You know, um, that's such a huge deal. So having so much content and his nurturing, his quality of, of being a good storyteller and a good world builder, but at the same time, just whenever something happens, um, he, he, he never turns into that rules jerk. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he seems genuinely happy when his players succeed. Whereas I've been in cases playing games uh, back in the day where when, you know, we beat the bad guy and, and the DM's like, I hate this. You know, you could just tell you've upset your friend because you crit the, the, the bad guy. You know what I mean? It right. was just like, it, it's weird. It's it's such a weird dynamic. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and taking that with my Dungeons and Dragons over the years, like I said, I, my favorite part is the world building. So when I started this Catacombs of Comedians, I was, okay, I'm going to build this and the, the specifics and I'm working on their backstories and, okay, this is how this is going to go. And, I'm, and that way, if I put this in this character's backstory, I can do a callback on adventure, you know, number 14 when we get to that episode, you know, it'll all work and it'll all. Sure. And then that first night, I'm like, whatever. It's just. <laughs> it seems like you're going to have to kind of force a story onto the madness that they're doing. Like, you're going to have to say like, okay, well, we had a whole subplot there and they walk right past it. Yeah. Fair enough. You know? And so, and like every, you know, I, I, what I, when I do one of those so far, the first, I've only done two of those shows and I've, t- I've got four pages of note, like it's just an outline and I've figured out now better how it's going to work where, you know, don't get so, I don't get hung up on the specifics because 
they're so worried about their neck joke that they're going to make. They're not listening to me explain why it is a ruby red as opposed to a blood red, you know? Right, right, right. So are, are, for the for the Huntsville show, are you going to basically do what you did for episode one? That's spoilery. Uh, for no, Zanies? Sort of. Again, I'm with uh, Catacombs and Comedians in this world, um, the basic part of it, and I'm kind of pulling in the comedian aspect of it, is there are adventuring agents. Like I've got a business card right here. This is Ari Gant, agent to the adventurous. And I used had this at the at the show because I put them on the table and there's a you know a whatever it's called, the Q QR code yeah. on the back, where people at the show could use their phones and it would bring up the stat block and illustration of this character. That's great. And a download for the PDF if they want to use it in their own games. Are those, are those links available yet? On the, oh, I see the face on the, checking the Twitch page. Um, I see you got the links there. Excellent. And um, so what I would do is, um, you know, and I would, this is one of one of the fun things. Uh, oh, let me get back to back. So with this story, um, there's adventuring parties. And so these agents get groups together. So this agent got these four together, found them a job, a quest to go on. And the agent gets 20% of whatever they, you know, whatever. Something the comedians can relate to. Exactly. Um, okay. And so when I go to Huntsville, they will have an agent, probably the same agent will send them on a different quest, but it'll be the same basic kind of setup. Like in the first one here in in the South, you can't swing a dead displacer beast around here without hitting a cracker barrel. So I had my group meet at a cock and barrel, which is my version of, you know, and instead of, and they were in the village of Nash. Um, there was, you know, I created a hot chicken monster since that's the main dish here in Nashville is hot chicken. And I unleashed that on them in the first adventure. That's why when I go down to Huntsville, their minor league baseball team are the Trash Pandas. Nice. Rocket City Trash Pandas. So that's why we have the Dire Trash Panda. That's um, great. So now I am tailoring my D&D game to where I'm playing the game with these. Uh, and like at Waffle Houses are another big thing here in the South. Sure. So I have the awful house, the O-F-F-A-L, where they That's serve great. intestines and stuff, you know. And um, so they'll meet there. So it'll be kind of the same adventure, but different. You know, Are you selling awful house t-shirts yet? I've got the logo designed and, you know, I'll be sharing it later. It's already... <laughs> I've got, and that's again, the fun part of the world, I creative world is I love, you know, creating these things. And before I even figure out the, you know, how this, the awful house is going to work into the campaign, I'm doing the logo. Right, right. I work, it's just the way I work created creatively. I will design something. And then again, that inspires me to work out the details that I need for the game. That's wonderful. Like, I noticed that they like you did the the graphics of the Twitch yeah. around us, and fantastic, fantastic. I mean, I knew you were again. I knew you as an editor. I didn't know you as a as a graphic designer, and it, it's fantastic. Um, thanks. You know, a lot of it's you know I you know I I'm, I've got so many fonts on my computer. I love fonts. I'm like <laughs> I'm like a you know Sheldon on 
Big Bang Theory, you know, instead of flags, it's all fonts for me. Um, no, but that, that again, I will. My happy place is when I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to just design the logo for the adventuring team in Nashville. And I come up with that, you know, and that makes me happy. And, and again, it's all world building. That's great. Uh, when I, I saw that for Kickstarter, they've got an event coming up in August. Uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of role playing companies, did you see that they're moving their um, Zine Quest month? To yeah. August? So um, uh, I had a stretch goal for my campaign that we didn't hit, which was this uh, Intoxomancy subclass for for Magic. From I was going to say Magic users because I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for Wizards, uh, I still like Magic users better. It always sounded stupid, but now it's grown on me and I like it. Uh, so. So I'm thinking that's what that will be. I'm going to do a small, the tiniest of Kickstarters for it, where like the digital edition might be $3. And if I can see how cheap I can make the, the print thing happen and make the whole, make the campaign's goal like 50 bucks, like the smallest thing in the world. And my whole hope is that the people who uh, come over from the gaming side, and it's also one of the reasons why I thought this channel, this stream would be interesting because if I, if people from the gaming world can discover my comics, mm -hmm. that will be uh, beneficial. Like, so, you know, not expecting to make a nickel from the stream itself and not, not that everything in life has to be mercenary, but it's, you know, but everything in life at some point has to, you know, every month has to have me paying my rent. So sadly, because of that reality, I have to always think about things in those those kind of mercenary terms. Sadly, um, no. With this whole Zine Quest, I'm I, I plan on doing the same thing. Since I'm already working on these monsters to put in a book that we're going to release later, why don't I just take six or you know not six, maybe four or five of them, and put them in a little zine? You know, and you have the art. Yeah, I've got the art, and I've yeah. uh, you know, and I'll just boot me you know, and again. Because I've done Kickstarters before for my comic books, and they are such a pain in the ass. You know it, especially with fulfilling and you know doing all the things. But with this little zine, if I just say, "Here's the digital version for you know next to nothing," right? And basically considering that as promotion, right? And then it, if it, everyone then, who signs up to support you on this one, if they love what they get, will support you on the next one. And then if I just put a ceiling limit on fifty physical copies. I can sit on my floor and staple 50 zines together sure, and sure. just, you know, rather than, you know, 600 or 800 or, you know, yeah, right. 50. If you don't get in on this 50, you know, tough, right. you know, you just. <laughs> yeah. There's always a digital. There's yeah. always digital. Get the digital. Yeah. And again, it's not to make money on this thing. This is just to get catacombs and comedians seen more because, I mean, Kickstarter, as much as a revenue platform, it's very much a promotional platform. Heck yes. I've People discovered. don't think of it that way. Yeah. Um, so that's why I want to do Zine Quest as well. Yeah. Because suddenly people are looking through zines and yes, it might be a whole mountain of them, but there are people who are going to walk past your booth. It's like being set up at a comic convention. People will walk past your project and take a look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then again, when people are happy with it and then you, and you run the hardcover collection in six months or whatever of all the monsters, um, you know, those people will come back because they're happy with what you had before. And that, so those are 50 people you wouldn't have had the first time. You know, you wouldn't be starting cold 
when yeah. you do the next one. No, yeah. and it's exactly, I mean, we've got, it's telling me we've got four viewers right now, and that's great, but nobody knew we were going to do this. Right. Until, you know, and so, we, you know. Well, I pulled a few people, but it is early. Yeah. For, for <laughs> 11 o'clock is not early for you. <laughs> but for live streaming, it's like, it, I think people will catch the replay. I'm, I'm, no. I'm, I'm optimistic that our replay numbers will be fantastic. You know, there was a method of my madness for choosing this time. Because there's a very popular creating D&D uh, Twitch show that shows every Sunday that ends just as about ours is starting. Oh, wow. So my goal is hopefully we'll get, you know, we'll get Genius. viewers after that. Again, I would just like, if, if I could just create and not have to hustle and hawk so much, it would be awesome. But again, you know, you know, you have to think this way and that way. And That's Orson Welles. He said yeah. that line about, uh, <laughs> he said, I got to work with the greatest uh, paint box and toy train set in the world. If I didn't have to spend 90% of my time hustling. Yeah, it's all hustle. Now again, that's why you know this. Uh, if I do this Kickstarter Zine Quest, which I'm going to do for you know Catacombs and Comedians Monsters, it's going to be very limited, very little, not a lot. You know, with stuff I already have, I'm not looking to get rent money on this. Perfect. Um, yeah, just to get it out and have fun, because because I mean I had you know my Hero Happy Hour comic books we've done on Kickstarter where they were you know thousands of dollars in the fulfillment and oh it's just it's so yeah. tough you know it's stressful yeah it's and stressful. there's always a couple that fall through the cracks and it gets to the point where they contact you five years later and they're like hey i never got this and you're like dude it's over yeah. you <laughs> i can't well, there's a, to me it was like pdf links it's like i make pdfs available in my comic and then someone's gonna write me back six months later say hey the the the, the link has expired i'm like yeah but but you know i'll, I'll rehook it up for them but it becomes this in some ways, it, it does become a customer service. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you've got customer service elements to it. You've got fulfillment elements to it. You've got, um, you know, the advertising elements. All the management of a Kickstarter is just so much work um, and so much stress because there's a thing with, like, if you, like, I feel like my last couple, I've got my mailing list. I've got my audiences. I'm able to reach out to them. They have nice, strong starts. Two weeks later or a week later, I've already reached out to everybody who's going to, they're all aware of it. After that, I'm just an annoying jerk and I'm just bothering people. Right. And I would, I would much rather have a shorter campaign, except even this time around, two days before it ended, I make a random Facebook post and someone says, oh, I didn't know this was happening. And I'm always, it's always the case. So do, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know, that, that's probably the, the biggest pain in the butt during the Kickstarter campaign. And also looking at your phone all the time when it lights up. Did I get a new backer? Did I get a new backer? You know? Uh, yeah. And I also, and again, promoting these Kickstarters, you know, you, you do it on your Facebook link, you do it on your, you know, Twitter, you know, you do a Twitter post and, but everybody who follows me on Twitter and everybody who, you know, follows me on Facebook, odds are they're not going to get it because right. they're not my, right. they're not really my audience. They're my friends and family. Right. Um, and people who like people who are familiar with me from comics. You yeah. know, what are they what are, I got I got a lovely note from somebody after like my third emailing about it. It's lovely he's a Patreon supporter, he's been a tremendous supporter. And he just wrote back, What I don't know what I would do with these things. I'm like, don't don't worry about it. He felt like he wanted to support me, but was like, What am I gonna do with these things? I'm never gonna assemble them. I'm like, please do not worry about it. So I feel like with Zine Quest, I'll probably mention it on my mailing list once. I'll mention it to my I'll probably mention it on Twitch often. Um, but 
for the most part, I kind of want to let the gaming side. Uh, also, I would say there's a subreddit for D&D Homebrew. And I shared the Waddle Bottom, which is a character from my webcomic. He's a Lord of All Ducks. I shared his stat card, which was his picture, and then the stats, which is really simple. Really, it's basically designed to be po the baseball card size stat mm -hmm. block. So not nothing in depth. I shared that, and it got a lot of views and a lot of likes. And because if you share multiple images with a Reddit post, a Reddit post, each image can have a caption, and each image can have a link. Whereas if you don't include, if you only post one image, it's just the image and the title. There's no link. There's no caption, but multiple images. And I see people who do Patreon uh, for promoting and check out D&D Homebrew. If you, uh, you, you might do great there. Um, you post the, the artwork of the creature, the stat block. And then the third image that you generally share is the Patreon promo graphic they've created. Okay. And uh, that Waddle Bomb was seen by 2,500 people. Way more people than I thought would have seen it. I also then shared one for the baby dragon, and boy, did that get torn up. People did not like my take on dragons <laughs> because it was like I, you tell them about you tell them one about ducks, and they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, fine. This is this is un, you know this uncharted territory. You can do no wrong." And I basically I created a god. My Wallabong character he flies ninety. He's he's just, he's just crazy, unstoppable killing machine. Uh, but the baby dragon, they're like, "This is all wrong." You've you know, basically <laughs> they were. Well, anyway, sorry, what is it, the phrase? Uh, well, actually, and I got a lot of well, actually's. Yeah. So, uh, no, I've, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I just got, just before we came on, uh, Steve sent me a concept art for a new creature we're working on. Because, uh, again, in the South, I've wanted to come up with a cre creature that works. And so I'm uh, designing the Dragonado, which is a dragon that does, his breath weapon is tornadoes. Nice. And again, it's, you know, he's, you know, he did send me a picture a couple days ago. Like, here's the concept. And I went, okay, this looks a little too cartoony, a little, you know, not threatening enough. Basically, it had, it looked like Peach Dragon because it had little wings. And I said, make the wings bigger. But, you know, he added an element that I really like. Like instead, you know, with, um, you know, that fin or whatever a lot of dragons have. He has mm -hmm. like a pipe holes that toot out air. And nice. I'm like, yes, we'll put that in, and love it. So I got, I got the new illustration just before we went on. I'm like, yes, I can't wait to see this color. That's going to look so awesome. So that's, you know, so when I stack this one together, and that was another thing. Let's let's talk about monsters. And you, did did you figure out the stat blocks for everything yourself? Mm -hmm. Okay, that was all. Especially with this new fifth edition, is what scared the hell out of me because I like, I remember like third edition. And like with Pathfinder, third edition were very similar. There's a very mathematical way of creating creatures. And with this fifth edition, there's not. You know, and I'm always worried that I'm going to get the critical, I'm going to get the, you know, the uh, challenge CR. rating wrong. Yeah. And then I figured, screw it, so do they. Yeah, I left CR off my characters. That's I, probably I, smart. My feeling yeah. was that they're impossible because like you fight a ghost, which might have a CR of a half. And it's unstoppable killing machine. And you fight something else that's got a three and it's dead in one round. And it's, it's CR is, it's, there are videos on how ineffective it is. If for people who don't know, the CR rating is meant to be a shorthand for a dungeon master to be able to calculate quickly, mm -hmm. depending on the level of the party they're facing and the number of people they're facing, how to assemble a group of adversaries, you know, in moments. 
And unfortunately, that system fails in many ways. It's it's the trouble. The trouble is, I think, is that characters can be so complicated and so varied. There are so many character classes, and let's say none of them have ranged attacks, and then suddenly you're fighting something that has a 15 foot breath weapon. Now they are all dead because they can't hit the thing that's burning them alive. You know what I mean? It's it, and that might be a very frail thing. It might all you know. You might hit, hit it with a rock, and it will fall out of the sky, but. Uh, the idea that you can have these kind of disparities of abilities and the mismatching is like it, it, the CR rating is, is pointless. So I, I literally left it off all the stats I did because I also left alignment off because as far as I'm concerned, alignment has meant nothing. So right. I always make something silly about it. Like one guy's a chaotic soused. He's just alcoholic and, uh, uh, or a uh, romantic good. That says more about his character than if I said lawful good or something. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Try to explain alignment to these comedians, and if you watch the right. watch the show, they're all cha- they're all chaotic. Right, right, absolutely. And they're all basically chaotic evil because they just want to kill everything. I, I, a messenger is bringing you a gift, and let's kill him. You know, no right. dudes. <laughs> Video game mentality. Video yeah, game you're gonna have to give them like amulets of uh, immunity or something like that where they have like a force field or something that so they can just just to drop off a package exactly yeah. I, I mean i mean uh cool your jets people you know pull it back a little bit um right. but no i mean i don't mean to disparage my group they're very fun to play with and like you said that's the comedy and what we're doing and just i mean that the nut house that it's been and it's going to be different with this huntsville crew because they all play Every one of them, I said, okay, build your character. And they said, well, you know, are we starting off with this or this, that? Okay, I'm going to do this. Ooh, well, we'll do that. You know, they already know all, you know, and I'm like. So do you start them out level three? For this one, Huntsville, I, I will. When I did this group, when, with the initial uh, Nashville group, we started at first level and I groomed them more or less. That's probably better. Yeah. yeah to, to get up. But with this group, we'll start at level three. You know, I just give them a link to the D&D Beyond you know, campaign and say, build your character. And that way I can go in and look at it and say, let's change this, change that, fix that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be. And then also another thing I did uh, with all the character illustrations, I want, I want rather than say, describe your character to me, I gave them the hero forge link and let them discuss, let them design their own characters. And then I gave those hero forge links to the artist. And that way he was able to draw based on those. Oh, that's great! So they got to design the way their character kind of kind of looks with the man. Yeah, by making their own min, you know, vid, uh, video or digital image of a, the miniature, and that's then right. I just you know like and then scheme I in Huntsville we're playing one character is a female half orc barbarian with a hand puppet. Just because she saw the hand puppet as an option, and I go, so I asked her, I go, what's the hand puppet? She goes, I don't know. I just thought it'd be funny to put it on, and I go, well, you got to incorporate that into your game now. So she's already bought a hand puppet that will be used in the show. <laughs> That's got to be tough for them because they, I'm sure at one point they want to they role play, but on the other part, they just want to get the laugh. Yeah. And somehow shooting the messenger, you know, is an automatic laugh. That's got to be hard for them to balance the... Well, in this in the second show with Aaron, when I, like I said, he had never played before and I gave, I, I made his character for him and I said... He was a half-orc fighter because I just gave him the most basic character. Sure. And I said, 
and I gave him like links to, you know, the D&D Beyond pages for Fighter, for Half Orc. I said, read those. I gave him links to the PAX um, Acquisition Inks videos. I said, this is kind of the show where we're going for. Because I love how in those shows they just banter. Right. And he brought his A-game. He killed in that show. He was awesome. Um, I don't know where I was going with the story, but. Yeah, so, yo, as far as the story, whether they wanted to laugh or whether the role play. So I think, you know, going into this Huntsville, I've kind of says, okay, let's concentrate a little more on the role playing and the jokes will come. Right. While the other, while the first group aren't that familiar with it. So they're like, you know, let's just come up with funny things to say. Did you have a sense from the audience? Like, did you feel like it was a D&D crowd? When you were when the two zany shows, I mean, I know people were a lot shouting out rules and stats and stuff like that. But did you get a sense? Did you see lots of black T-shirts with beholders on them? And uh... the promotions that I did for the show, and again, we talked. You know, promoting is the bane of the independent creator's existence. I I did as much as I could. I went on Facebook groups. There's a great Nashville Dungeons and Dragons face group. You know, where players are like, so I promoted the hell on that. That's great. Um, I went to a couple local game stores. There's a lot of game stores in Nashville, but I live like maybe 15 miles outside of Nashville. So I didn't go into Nashville proper to those game stores just because I don't have time being, hey, I, I work full time. I'm a creator. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. You know, I've got, you know, everything else. I just can't go and look at hang out in game stores all day. But there was a couple local ones and I gave them I gave them posters. I, I printed special posters just to promote the show and put them up like in a comic book shop and here and there. So I would say 75% of the crowd and I'm going to, maybe we had a hundred and 120 people at the first show. Um, they were very much in the D and D. Some people just showed up Tuesday night thinking it was a regular stand up show and had no idea what the hell was going on. But they were outnumbered. That's good. Yeah. The uh, owner watched my first show and he gave me notes right after I got off stage. I went and talked to him and he's like, yep, I don't get it. I don't. It seems like some of the crowd had, but I would do since I don't get it. You should do this, this and this to change it. And I go, I hear what you're saying, but I think we will eventually find our crowd. The more, you know. So the audience, he was, what was his advice? Was it to try to get more people in through the door or was it trying to modify how you perform? Modify the performance to make it more audience participation. Like, oh, wow. you know, like this part of the audience is, you know, roots for this character. This part roots for this character. This part's gotcha. I'm like, very much I'm, a uh, yeah. medieval times. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that might not work. But like you said, there's a lot of audience participation. So I've inspired that by giving those inspiration coins. To not only my player, because I love inspiration in Dungeons and Dragons. When a player does something awesome, you go, here, here's inspiration, use it later. So I've, I, I get these made. I don't know if I have any readily available to show here. Um, but I get these inspiration and they have, you know, again, branding, Catacombs and Comedians. It's got that rolling laughing D20 on it. And, um, and so I get those made. So if somebody in the audience says something really good, I flip it out to that audience member saying, here's inspiration. Tell your dungeon master that I, the dungeon master of Catacombs and Comedians, say it's all right for you to use that in your game. That's great. And so, 
you know, maybe four or five people out of every live show gets to take home a special little trinket. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and again, that's promotes the audience, you know, because if somebody came, you know, they're like, okay, I take a healing potion. Uh, what do I roll? And they're like, 2D4 plus two, you know. And I'm like, great, you know. <laughs> that's great. Or the or when the player asks like the right barbarian, should I rage? And they're like, rage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh, there's definitely going to be more audience participants because I love those one acquisition inks where everybody just yells green flame whenever they mention it. So, but yeah, uh, there's, there's a, I I'd love to see that stuff happen. That's that's great. Yeah. So yeah, again, um, if you're watching this before July 20th and you're in the Huntsville area, you're going to want to go to Stand Up Live. And I'll have links and again um, to see the show. It's uh, nineteen and over, and it's only ten dollars to get in. And um, but yeah, and then again, we will be in Zanies in Nashville on August twenty third, and so hopefully we'll have an online game pretty soon too. So uh, I'm about out of coffee. We've yeah. rambled on for about an hour. Uh, you want to do this again, Steve? That sounds great. That okay. sounds great. I really enjoyed this day. Perfect. Yeah, because there's still a lot I want to cover with you. Um, and I, st- you know, and again, this is inspiration for me. As soon as we get finished up here, I'm jumping down and working on my uh, zine quest. Zine. That's great. And that's yeah. coming up. So that's, there's a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, anything you need to plug, Steve, before we sign off? No, if, if, uh, thank you all for being here. If you are watching this or catching the replay, be sure to hit the what's a follow button here on uh, Twitch. Um, and um, uh, if you want to read my webcomic, it's totally free to read on Webtoons, Tapas, Go Comics, and my own website at middleagecomic.com. Hardcovers, co- hardcover collections are signed and available from my website, and then you can also buy them from Amazon through Amazon Prime. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Again, middleagecomic.com. I write and draw the story about a knight who is in love with a dragon and has a cursed sword which hates him. Yeah, and be sure to follow Steve at the Steve Conley at all on Twitter and, um, and yeah. such. Um, and also, oh, and I have my own Twitch channel too. Yeah. So if you check out uh, Twitch.tv/slash uh, Steve Conley Art, you can follow me there. And I, I live stream Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, usually working on sculpting, uh, 3D sculpting. Yeah, I'll tune in and I hang out and watch Steve just as I work on my own stuff as well. So it's kind of like a collaborative studio, and he doesn't even know it. Yeah, it's you know, <laughs> that's what I hope for. I hope for people <laughs> be working. I don't want them to be dropping what they're doing, and I, I want them to be working on their own stuff. And um, you, again, you can find me at uh, Dan Leon Taylor on Twitch and the Instagrams and everything. Um, actually, I might be just Dan L. Taylor on Instagram. And uh, Catacombs and Comedians has its own website. And there is zero level media, but zero, the numeral zero LVL media, um, which leads to the zero level media Patreon, which will have exclusive Catacombs and Comedians stuff. And that's where you see all the back behind the scenes stuff that I'm doing for Catacombs Comedians. If you want to see the notes to my games, if you want to see the monsters I'm creating that I'm going to unleash at the players, if you want to see the stat block for the foul bear, you can find it there. Um, and it's, you know, so yeah. It's, uh, and all that goes to help promote and uh, Catacombs and Comedians and such. And again, thanks for uh, anybody who listened and watched. Again, we'll put this out on a podcast as well, and this will be on YouTube uh, later. And uh We're going to get this going and we're going to have guests later down the line. And hopefully uh, Steve and I uh, encourage each other to expand our creativity and we encourage others to do it. And uh, may you make all your saving throws.
Thank you for listening to Mazes and Muses. Now go forth and create.